Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, um, here we are on Good Friday, and uh, this is this moment where it, you've spread your arms around the world to give of yourself so that we may be redeemed. And Lord, um, it's because of the cross that we can come to you. And that, Lord, at the foot of the cross, we bear all to you. Because what we can give is nothing compared to what you can give. And yet you give so freely. Give us a sense of peace at this time. And open our hearts and our minds to your message today. Bless the voices of this dedicated choir. Bless my words that you will speak through me. Let us open our ears to the scripture. Let the music comfort our sorrows. Lord, be with our brothers and sisters who suffer. Lord, we especially pray for the Rao family at this time. We pray this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, greetings and uh, welcome to our Good Friday service here at uh, Grace Lutheran Church here in West Kelowna. Uh, my name is Pastor David Wunderlich, and um, uh, my associate, Pastor Ed Skuchek, will be uh, preaching for the uh, Easter Sunday service, and uh, so after this service uh, on Sunday morning, you'll be able to also um, receive another service from our congregation here. Thank you to Al Hamilton on the video that makes this possible. Um, I thank you to all of our dedicated choir members here today. Um, I was going to say that the men in black, but they're the women in black here today. And uh, so Denny, Marie, Leah, um, and Linda, Miriam, and Melody, thank you for um, uh, supplying the music today and to help us sing at home. Because I know many people uh, watch the words on the screen and they sing along. So thank you for uh, helping us today. And welcome. Uh, welcome to our service. And thank you to welcoming us into your homes and your living quarters today. We begin our service in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, open our hearts and our minds today. Help us to hear your scripture. Help us to realize the full magnitude of what you have done for us, what you have done for the world to extend your grace to us that are undeserving. And yet, Lord, you gave that great sacrifice on the cross for us. And as you open your arms today on that cross, you're opening it to us. Help us, Lord, in all ways to receive you. We pray this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. This time we'll have our first read, gospel reading. The first reading this morning is from the book of John, chapter 18, 
verses 1 to 27. When he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was a garden, and he and his disciples went into it. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the garden, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. And Judas the traitor was standing there with them. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. And he asked them, Who is it that you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. If you are looking for me, then let these men go. This happened so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those you gave me. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Jesus commanded Peter, Put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Then the detachment of soldiers with its commander and the Jewish officials arrested Jesus. They bound him and brought him first to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jewish leaders that it would be good if one man died for the people. Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus. Because the, this disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard, but Peter had to wait outside the door. The other disciple, who was known to the high priest, came back, spoke to the servant girl on duty there, and brought Peter in. You aren't one of these, this man's disciples too, are you? She asked Peter. He replied, I am not. It was cold, and the servants and officials stood around a fire they had made to keep warm. Peter also was standing with them, warming himself. Meanwhile, the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. I have spoken openly to the world, Jesus replied. I always taught in synagogues or at the temple where all the Jews come together. I said nothing in secret. Why question me? Ask those who heard me. Surely they know what I said. When Jesus said this, one of the officials nearby slapped him in the face. Is this the way you answer the high priest? He demanded. If I said something wrong, Jesus replied, testify as to what is wrong. But if I spoke the truth, why did you strike me? Then Annas said to him, bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Meanwhile, Simon Peter was still standing there warming himself. So they asked him, you aren't one of his disciples too, are you? He denied it, saying, I am not. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him. Didn't I see you with him in the garden? Again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, a rooster began to crow. Here ends the reading.
Then the Jewish leaders took Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. By now it was early morning, and to avoid ceremonial uncleanliness, they did not enter the palace because they wanted to be able to partake in the Passover. So Pilate came out to them and asked, What charges are you bringing against this man? If he were not a criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. But we have no right to execute anyone, they objected. This took place to fulfill what Jesus had said about the kind of death he was going to die. Pilate then went back inside of the palace and summoned Jesus and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate replied. Your own people and chief priests handed you over, handed you over to me. What is it that you have done? Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to pre prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, Pilate said. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth, retorted Pilate. With this he went out again to the Jews that were gathered there and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. But it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at a time uh, at the time of Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They shouted back, No, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now Barabbas had taken part in an uprising. Oh, my. 
next reading is from John chapter 19, verse 1 to 27. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they slapped his face. Once more, Pilate came out and said to the Jews gathered there, Look, I'm bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, Here is the man. As soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, Crucify! Crucify! But Pilate answered, You take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. The Jewish leaders insisted, We have a law, and according to that law he must die, because he claimed to be the Son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid, and he went back inside the palace. Where do you come from, he asked Jesus, but Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me, Pilate said? Don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? Jesus answered, You would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jewish leaders kept shouting, if you let this man go, we are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat at a place known as the Stone Pavement. It was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about noon. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, Take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king? Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priest answered. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull. There they crucified him and with him two others, one on each side, and Jesus in the middle. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, do not write the King of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled that said, They divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. So this is what the soldiers did. 
Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his house. Here ends the reading. from John 19, 28, 42. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now it was the day of preparation, and the next day was to be a special Sabbath. 
Because the Jewish leaders did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath, they asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. There, the soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus and found he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw it has given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies that you also may believe. These things happened so that scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken, and, as another scripture says, they will look on the one they have pierced. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who had early, earlier visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices in strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jew Jewish burial customers, customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. Because it was Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Here ends the reading. Thank you to our our readers today, uh, Miriam Keith and Leah Green and Linda Lutz and Denise Skuchuk. My statement here today is this. God doesn't make contracts. We don't go to an attorney and we say, I want to make a deal with God. And we don't counter offer back and forth, thinking that somehow we are owed a service. No. God only gives out covenants. And covenants are not based on the goodies that we can try to squeeze out of God. Covenants are based out of faith, love, and grace, and trust. Covenants are based on the relationship between you, between God, between God's people. They are promises by God that is made voluntarily by him. And so we can't make deals with God. We can't get together and sign a contract. 
We cannot go into the late hours in an evening and try to make a deal. It is God who presents himself. As he says on the cross, it is finished. This is the final deal of giving his self, his body, his blood, and a sacrifice to be a redeemer for you and I, who, of course, is not truly deserving. So we cannot make deals with God. We cannot say to God, God, I will be your faithful servant if you heal me. God, I will be your faithful servant if you give me the lottery numbers for next week's jackpot. We cannot make deals with God thinking somehow we can ransom God to get something out of him. God does not work that way. He only works voluntarily by granting his love and grace to us. Because he is God. As Job says in the Bible, I was born into this world naked and I will leave this world naked. Anything that I receive is truly a gift. What he's really saying is the grace of God. Right? But yet, somehow we want to bargain. We want to think, yes, you know, I want to have all these things in life. But yet, every day, whether we live until we're 15, whether we live till we are 55, whether we live to 108, we should always be thankful because this was God's gift to us. Because whatever God has granted us is a gift. And he's done it voluntarily. How dare we even try to even try to understand the mysteries of God's ways. God will do what he will do. And we should be thankful of whatever grace we receive. And how thankful we can be today that we have a God that loves us so deeply, so much, that he's willing to spread his arms out, willing to be nailed on a cross, on a piece of wood, letting his body go, his blood dripping for each and one of us, saying, you don't have to make any deals with me because I am the deal. I am the sacrificial lamb of a world that needs redeeming. God has done it for us. Down through history, God has made covenants, not contracts. We can look at the first covenant that God made with Adam and Eve. Adam means in Hebrew man. Eve means woman. And God's covenant with them is this. You can live in this paradise. However, do not try to be like me. And yet, Adam and Eve, they were deceived. 
And they took that forbidden fruit because they wanted to be like God. And it's very much like our society today where we want control, that we want to be many gods ourselves. Yet I say to you, if you want to be that way, ask Adam and Eve how it worked out for them. It didn't. Because it was God's covenant. They were not the ones trying to make the deal. Next covenant that God made was with Noah. He told Noah, Never again will I create a flood on the earth that would destroy the whole world. And he made that promise by using a sign and that rainbow in the sky. And Noah couldn't sit there with his family and try to make a deal with God, saying, well, God, you know what? I don't like this 40 days and 40 nights of rain. No, 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 no. I'm kind of a sunshine person. You know what? Let's just make it 20 days and 20 nights. No. That wasn't part of the deal. They listened to God's covenant. The next covenant God made was with Abraham and Sarah. We look in Scripture, Abraham means the father of nations, Sarah means the mother of nations. And they were promised that their descendants would be as many as the stars in the sky, which even in our modern technology and our age of astronomy, we can't even tell you really how many stars are out there, but it's many. Yet, why did God do this for Abraham and Sarah? Because of their faith. Were they perfect people? No, absolutely not. They all had flaws, just like you and I. But they had faith. And God granted them that covenant. And they couldn't make a deal with God. Thinking, God, you know what? Don't send us to the promised land. Send us somewhere else, right? Oh, God, you know, we're too old to have a family. Maybe just pick somebody else. I don't know. God chose them. Next covenant that God makes is with Moses and the Israelites. Moses goes up to Mount Sinai and he is granted the Ten Commandments. And Moses didn't sit there and debate with God thinking, you know what, maybe Ten Commandments is a little too much. Let's just do nine and a half, right? Right? Moses didn't go and say, you know what, maybe some of them we can just stroke out. You know, maybe about that one, that third one, you know, keep the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Yeah, I don't know about that one, right? And that adultery one, well, that might be a little too tough. But no. It was a one-way covenant. God said, this is it. Obey this. You'll become a great nation. God even went further than that. He was leading Israelites to a promised land of his promise. Could they have been there a lot earlier? Yeah, it took them 40 years. Well, they weren't ready. They weren't ready. But God did get them there. And there's a connection with that covenant into the final covenant that is granted today by the cross. 
You know, in Exodus 12, 22, it says, Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood, which is in the basin, and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood, which is in the basin. Basically, take the blood of the lamb on that first Passover, put it on the doorpost, and that when the angel of death passed in Egypt, that blood saved them, that there was no death to that household. It's the connection to when Jesus was on the cross that was read to you in the Scripture. And there, there's a sponge and the hyssop plant was put together. And a stalk and vinegar was placed on the mouth of Jesus. And there was the connection. With the blood on that would be the blood of the new lamb. Where Jesus is called the Lamb of God. And it is his blood that redeems us and saves us. So that we do not face a second death. That we do not face a spiritual death. That we may live with God forever and ever. This is the connection between that old covenant of the Passover and the new covenant. That starts on Monday, Thursday which you can hear Pastor Ed's sermon that he did and continues through Good Friday where Jesus dies on the cross that relates to the communion on Monday, Thursday. And of course, he seals the deal on Easter Sunday. Because Paul says, if we have a death like Jesus, we certainly will have a resurrection like Jesus. That's part of the covenant. It is God opening his arms to us, saying, this is it. It is finished. What more could we ask for? A God who is willing to die and be sacrificial for his creation. There's not one more thing we could ask for. He's given it all. His sacrifice on the cross so that we may be redeemed And that we can be heirs of his kingdom. There is nothing more. Nothing more we could ask or to squeeze out of God. And anything that we would ask more. Probably would not be right. Yet. We have a God. Who listens. We have a God says to us this is the final sacrifice you do not need to make any more sacrifices or try to make any more deals with me it is finished and he writes this not on stone tablets not on rainbows certainly it's written in scripture but he writes this on our hearts. And when it is written in our hearts, there is no way ever of denying the grace that God has granted for you and for I. And yet you think, yes, but there are some hardened hearts, Pastor David, 
that will not agree to this message? Well, I have seen hardened hearts change. I want to share with you a story. It's about COVID-19, and I, I got to say that I can't wait for the day when I don't have to talk about COVID-19 ever again. I can't wait for a day when I can use that as past tense. But this is where we're at. This is what is on our minds. It's a story of a doctor. And he writes this. Never in my darkest nightmares did I imagine that I would see and experience what has been going on in Italy in our hospital in the past three weeks. The nightmare flows and the river gets bigger and bigger. At first, a few patients come, then dozens, and then hundreds. Now we are no longer doctors, but sorters who decide who should live and who should be sent home. And all of these patients paid Italian health taxes throughout their lives. Until two weeks ago, my colleagues and I were atheists. It was normal because we are doctors. We are learned that science excludes the presence of God. He writes, I laughed at my parents for going to church. He says nine days ago, a 75-year-old pastor was admitted to the hospital. And he was a kind man. He had serious breathing problems, but he had a Bible with him and impressed upon us by how he read it to the dying as he held their hand. We doctors were all tired, discouraged, psychologically, physically finished, but we had time to listen to him. And when we reached our limits, we could do no more. People are dying every day. We were exhausted. We had two colleagues that have died and others that have been infected. We realized that we need to start talking. We need to start asking God for help. We do this when we have a few minutes. And when we talk to each other, we cannot believe that though we were fierce atheists, we are now daily searching for peace asking the Lord to help us continue so that we can take care of the sick. Yesterday, that 75-year-old pastor died. Despite having had over 120 deaths here in three weeks, we were destroyed. We had managed, despite his condition and our difficulties, to bring us peace that we no longer had hoped to find. The pastor went to the Lord, and soon we will follow him if matters continue like this. I haven't been home for six days. I don't know when I ate last, and I realize my worthlessness on this earth, and I want to use my last breath to help others. I'm happy to have returned to God when I'm surrounded by the suffering and death of my fellow men. This is a letter of a fierce atheist. For God has changed his heart. His covenant is now written in his heart. 
He's changed forever. Because there's a point that no matter what trying deals we try to make for God, what little things that we have to offer, God has it all. And he is willing to grant it to you. A covenant not written on stone tablets, not written in rainbows, but written on our hearts through his word that strikes us right here and changes us forever. Do you want that change? Do you want God's covenant to live in your heart? He's the one that can do it. We can't. He's the one who can speak to you. And maybe he's speaking to you in this service today. Maybe you have been a hardened atheist. Maybe you have been one who's been an agnostic and not sure. Maybe in this moment, in this time, in this great confusion that we are living in, God is speaking to you and writing something in your heart that will change you forever. This is what God has granted. His covenant for you. This is our wake-up call to realize that there's nothing we can add or subtract, but all we can do is be open and be grateful for God's great grace that he grants to you and I and that he grants you to faith to never deny it, but to know of the power that God has granted you in his words, in his body, in his blood for you given so freely. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord. Lord Jesus, we thank you for what you have done on Good Friday. And that's why we can call it good. And Lord, we are grateful that you are a God who gives of yourself so freely to us that is undeserving. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your covenant. Thank you for being a God that actually cares for his creation. We pray this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. It is traditional in our Good Friday service here at Grace that we end um, with the Lord's Prayer. Then after the Lord's Prayer, we will leave in silence. So if you're at home, you stand up and pray with me the prayer that our Lord Jesus has taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, 
but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.